Father, we just want to thank you. What a privilege, O oh Lord, to be found in your house. That we can still enjoy this freedom in this nation. That even in the middle of a work week, we could come together as a body of believers, as brothers and sisters, as your children, to listen to your word, to listen to your voice. And therefore we have come with an expectancy in our hearts, Lord, that you would speak to us, O Lord. Speak to us this evening. Anoint us. Take away the colises from our from our ears, O Lord, that we, and the and the and the and the stains from our eyes, O Lord, the planks, O Lord, whatever is hindering our vision, just take it away. Enable us to see clearly. Enable us to hear clearly what the Spirit of the Lord has to say to each one of us in this last hour of time. Anoint us, therefore, to that end. We pray that you would grant me, O Lord, Father courage and the clarity to speak your word and all of us you would grant us an anointing to obey your word thank you we praise you we worship you in jesus name amen as uh, uh, abel was praying the last part of the worship he said like joseph i, I mean jacob that was my favorite song i love that song nearer my god to thee it's remarkable just the entire struggle, not not the entire struggle of Jacob, at least a part of it is, is is just captured in that song. Even as he prayed, he said, let's contend. And therefore, Jude will say in Jude 1, verses 3 to 4, he said, Beloved, while I was diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, you wanted to write something. I found it necessary to write to you. I wanted to write something, but suddenly I realized in the spirit, spirit gave me a discernment. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you that you would contend. The word contends, very powerful. Epi agonizomai. Agonize. Wrestle. That's what, that's what Jacob did. Wrestle. Agonize. Contend earnestly for the faith, which was once and for all delivered to the saints. You'll realize that sooner than later, the moment you are born again and you start walking with the Lord, that walking with the Lord is warfare. You need to understand there are two parts of salvation. Salvation, which we call in uh, in in, in uh, theological terms, justification. Justification by faith. Apart from the works of the law. That means we don't have to do anything to get saved. It was absolutely a complete work of God. That is the reason why when the Israelites were brought out of Egypt, God did not give them the law first and then bring them out of Egypt. He brought them out of Egypt. All they had to do was have faith in the blood of the Passover lamb. They had to put the blood of the Passover lamb on the on the doorposts of their house. And whoever was inside, could be an Egyptian, could be an Israelite, whoever it was, was saved. Salvation is absolutely a work of God. Even the crossing of the Red Sea, he didn't, they didn't have to do anything. Moses just had to lift his rod and the rivers parted. So they came through the waters and then they were brought to Sinai. But if you come to the latter part, if you come to the book of Joshua, it's a completely different ballgame altogether. There, 
the life of Christ, as we know, as we have heard several times from this pulpit, is which is depicted by the promised land, the promise, which is yes, yes, all the promises of God, which is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. God tells Joshua, I have given you this land, but you have to fight for it. Okay, I have given you this land, but you have to fight for it. So the life of Christ, which has to be made manifest in our lives, that is a fight. And it is a fight unto death. And therefore, this contending or agonizing, as the word says in the original, is a part of our lives. And it will be continuously, even as you progress with your, in your walk with the Lord. And therefore he says, why should it, why should this be so, so because he says, for certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago, ago were marked out for condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into license to sin. In other words, he says, the grace of God which saved, you don't have to do anything anymore. You just have to trust in the grace of God. Doesn't matter how many times you've sinned, God is going to take you just as you are. The grace of God is also, as we heard on Sunday, is given us so that we say no. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live chaste and godly lives in this present age. Therefore, we need to understand, therefore there's a contending all the time. Uh, the same uh, verse, I mean, same kind of language is used in First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, where Paul tells Timothy, he says, fight the good fight of faith. The same word, agonize. Lay hold of eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In other words, in First Timothy chapter 1 verses 18 and 19, he says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare having faith and a good conscience. It's warfare terminology, you see that? It's, there is no escaping this. That's the point. Which having some, uh, rejected concerning the faith have made shipwreck. Otherwise, you just, warfare terminology, excuse me. Uh, again, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Again, this is comparing to a wrestling match where Jacob was the one who wrestled with God. It's a wrestling. Point here I'm trying to make is that there is a fight and we need to be prepared for it. Okay, whether you like it or not. And what is the instrument God uses in order for us to win the fight? Okay. Now, we heard from this pulpit several times, there are two kinds of fight, three enemies inside, I mean, one inside and two outside. So there is two kinds of fight and three enemies. We are, we are fighting three enemies. One is our old nature, which we call as the sinful nature or flesh, sinful nature, or also called as remaining sin. It's there inside of each one of us. That is what we have to fight. There's a world outside and the enemy. That is what we need to fight every day. And what is the instrument God uses in both cases, I'm going to prove to you, is that he uses the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That is the only offensive weapon that God uses. The sword of the spirit, which is 
the word of God. That is to fight the enemy, to fight, to resist the powers of darkness. What we need is the sword of the spirit, which is a word of God, a specific word. Just not the Logos word, the Rima word. And when it comes to fighting the flesh, we looked at this passage several times in Romans chapter 8. He says, verse 6 onwards, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. You see that is an enemy. Who is that? A carnal fellow inside of you. You have to fight that fellow. He is an enemy of God. He is not subject to the law of God. And he cannot subject. He is powerless to subject to the law. He cannot do it. And therefore he says, Therefore brethren, we are no longer debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you by the spirit, the word put to death, some translations will use the word mortify. Mortify the deeds of the body, you will live. I'll tell you what this is. Okay. A man of God gives a very interesting, he says, mortification, the original means to silence every quivering of the flesh. I'll give you an example. How many of you went, went to a chicken shop? Anybody? Okay, chicken shops. Show me, show me, show me, show me, show me hands. Okay, fine. How many of you have seen a guy killing the chicken? Okay, okay, good, no? See, how does he kill the chicken? He slits the throat first. And he puts it into the, into that tub. It's quivering, okay? It's, it's, the, the life is coming out. And, and, and you guys are going, but you eat the chicken, no? Nice dressed. That is the reason it was called dressed chicken. Okay, so it goes, and then after a while, silence. So what does he do? We think it's dead. So what does he do? He takes the chicken out, he skins it out nicely, takes off the entrails and he puts it there and he washes it nicely with water, takes all the blood out and then he puts it on the block to chop it. And you look, keep looking at the chicken and suddenly the breast goes like this. Have you seen that? It, it's, it's, life is still there in the chicken. It goes like that. So what does he do? He takes the knife, tuck, 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 tuck. he says, Kind biryani, curry. That's a question he'll ask. Okay. You say, then you say biryani, big piece. Tut, 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 tut. He'll make big pieces. And then the leg piece, he puts it there. He does that. Small, small pieces. Go there, go, go like that. Have you seen that? I mean, I, I'm even marinating the chicken because in my home, I do the dirty job. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. so even when I'm marinating the chicken, that, that, that thing is just moving like that. You, you, that's exactly the flesh, the quiver. That's exactly what the what the idea here is. To mortify is to kill every quivering of the flesh. You see? And where is it? It's here in the mind. You have to kill the mind of the flesh. Uh, I mean, it's it's another analogy. How many of you see Koramina? Koramina fish. Yeah, you know Koramina fish? You know how the fellow kills it? He takes the block and pat one shot he gives on the head. And then it still keeps wriggling, right? He doesn't chop it off. You know what he does again? He takes the thing and punch shot on the head. That is how you mortify the flesh. No, that is the idea here is to take away every quivering of the flesh. But what is the instrument God is using? He's using the spirit. If you by the spirit put to death the deeds of the body or mortify the deeds of the body. You will live. Boy, that means you have to go through death 
every day in order for you to live. Because the flesh is going to quiver every once in a while, not once in a while, every day, and quite a bit. You got it. Therefore, therefore, the only, only, only instrument God is going to give us is what? The spirit. You'll say, if you by the spirit put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And therefore, the exhortation in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, it says, be not drunk with wine in which is excess, but be filled with the spirit. Now, the question, therefore, you need to ask is, does the spirit, how do you fill yourselves with the spirit? And then you, all of you have been in Grace Tabernacle Church and you will say, I know, Pastor James told us, ask and it shall be given, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened. If you being evil fathers can know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more the father will give the Holy Spirit to whoever asks. The question therefore is, what do you ask for? The Holy Spirit? You say, Spirit, fill me. But what? Is, how does the spirit fill you? The spirit will not work in a vacuum. I want to show you two parts of a particular phrase in Galatians chapter 3. You'll see the idea emerging. Galatians chapter 3, verse 2 onwards. This only I want to learn from you. Did you, read that, receive the spirit? By the works of the law or by hearing of faith. Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Now what is this part? He said, when you were born again, did you do it by your own works? Or were you changed because of the hearing of faith? It is because of the hearing of faith. And what happened when you heard the word? The Spirit of God and the Word of God came together and boom, you were born again. That's exactly what happens to to, to, to the uh, Cornelius home. When Peter is speaking to them, even as Peter is speaking those words, the Holy Spirit intervenes and then he pours out the Spirit and they're all born again. They are prophesying and Peter will say, who can stop them from being baptized knowing that the Gentiles also receive the Spirit? And it says, they go. he goes back home and, I mean, goes back to his place and he says, you know what, the Gentiles, are, they're all angry. They're upset. How come you went to the Gentiles? And then he tells them the entire uh, experience. And then a very interesting statement is made. They are all amazed that the Lord had granted repentance to the Gentiles also. So even the granting of repentance came from the hearing of the faith and the Spirit of God came, convicted you of sin and you were born again. Now going forward, how should it be? Let's see in Galatians and try to see what Paul is going to How do we overcome and how do we overcome the flesh? And Paul is going to talk about it. Look at what he says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 5. Okay, what do we need? We need a continuous supply of the Holy Spirit, right? Every day of our lives, I need a continuous supply of the Holy Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit is not a suggestion. It is a commandment. But how am I going to get the supply of the Spirit? Galatians will answer. Therefore, he who, read that, 
supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by what? Again say, hearing of faith when you were born again and the continuous hearing of faith and even as you continuously hear hear from faith, the spirit of God comes and keeps on filling you because the the spirit of God will never... Work in a vacuum. That is the reason why he says in uh, John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 30, he says, I will, he will not speak of himself, but whatever I have spoken, he will bring it out. And what, that is the reason why Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 will say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So one of the ways of asking God to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, how do you ask? By coming to a meeting. Where the word is being preached. You know how you ask the Lord to fill you with the spirit. You start reading your word and say Lord I don't want to just merely read this word. I want you to quicken me by the spirit even as I read. When I'm listening to a message. Lord I want the supply of the spirit even as I hear the words of faith. That is the reason why faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. And therefore you see, it is indispensable. Absolutely indispensable in your Christian life. That you should at any point stop gathering for the word. Think about it, no? That's what he says in Hebrews chapter 3. He says, but exhort one another how often? Daily, lest, can I hear you? Lest. You be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Therefore, therefore, in order to, ta- I mean, to 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 tackle the enemy or to fight the enemy, I need the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and also to tackle my flesh and to mortify the deeds of the, the deeds of the flesh. I need the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and that is the reason why the word of God is called what kind of a sword? Double-edged sword. Therefore, you know, it's like a uh, like a movie, you know. Suddenly, the title of the movie comes in the middle of the story. That's what I said. Wielding the sword of the spirit. How do I wield the sword of the spirit? Now, we have concepts in the new covenant. We have patterns in the old covenant. Okay, that is the reason why Paul will say in First Corinthians chapter ten, we heard that verse several times. So I don't put it there. What, did, what does he say? Now these things have happened to them as the word is ensembles, but actually the Greek word is typos, which means types in the old covenant is what we look at to see what the Spirit has to say as to how do we wield the Spirit and who can do this. Can anybody do it? You have to be really incredibly brilliant in your mind. You need to have an IQ of 150 or I don't know. I mean, incredible in order to do this, in order to achieve this kind of holiness in your life. Do you need that kind of uh, brilliance or anybody can do it? Obviously, you will say God is not a respecter of persons. Anybody can do it. So let us see an example. Story of Judges in Judges chapter 3. This is what I'm looking at today. We know this story. We have seen it several times, but look at it freshly today. Chapter 3 of Judges and verse 14. But, but before I go there, I just want to give the context here. Uh, Joshua dies 
And then Judges starts. And then they ask the Lord, who shall go first? And they say, what? Judah shall go first. And Judah does a lot of conquests. Okay, Caleb is still alive. Joshua is dead. Caleb is still alive. And Judah does a lot of conquests, almost like 10 or 11 conquests, if I'm right. He conquers this place, he conquers that place. Othaniel, who is Caleb's brother, he says, whoever conquers this place, I'm going to give you my uh, daughter. And that guy conquers, and he marries Caleb's wife, and I mean, Caleb's daughter, sorry. And then he goes on, and uh, several, several conquests. And then Benjamin. Benjamin fights against the Jebusites almost and they try to conquer Jerusalem but they don't completely drive out the Jebusites. I mean, didn't put it there because you can go back home and do the homework there. And from then onwards, all the tribes are mentioned. Benjamin did not drive out. Naphtali did not drive out. Zebulun did not drive out. Asher did not drive out. Gad did not drive out. Dan did not drive out. 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 And it says, angel of the Lord comes and says, I brought you out of Egypt and I gave you the land and I said I'm going to be with you. I made an everlasting covenant with you but you did not drive out. From now on these fellows will become a snare. These fellows will become a snare and they do become a snare and you will see Israel going through a loop of revival, fall, crying out, asking for a deliverer, God raises a deliverer, revival, fall, asking for a deliverer, etc, etc. This perennial loop of sinning, repenting, sinning, repenting in every generation. And in every generation he raises a judge or a leader who does some remarkable things. And there is one unique guy, we know this guy, his name is Ehud, which whom I'm talking about today. Ehud, chapter. Uh, this is the guy who is a very interesting chapter. And from him, we learn how to wield the whole sword of the spirit. Let's try to see the patterns. Judges chapter 3, verse 14. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. And then what happened? When the children of Israel cried out, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them. Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man like Rafa. I mean, I like that, no? Like uh, Muhammad Ali, like Abigail. The point I'm trying to make, Rafa and Muhammad Ali, very powerful people. Abigail, not so powerful. In fact, <laughs> she is fearful, if not if not powerful. The point here is this, no? I'll tell you what is what is this mean. There could be a lot of spiritual significance to it, but this is what I I, I uh, draw this from Eastern cultures. You know, whenever you see people left-handed, you have a kind of a very strange disposition towards them, and it's not very endearing. Okay, it's not an endearing disposition, alright, so like I remember Abigail was like almost like one and a half years old and I looked at her and she took the pencil with the left hand, I said boy, she's a southpaw and she started doing this immediately the grandmother said, she left hand, turn it to right hand then I said, no way, no way, see 
I want to become uh, an, an iconoclast, meaning a rebel, okay? So, uh, sneering at tradition. So I said, no, 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 no. Auntie, she's going to use the left hand. So, now that I'm the father, so they couldn't contend with me. They said, okay, fine, left hand. And they started doing with the left hand. And she started doing everything with the left hand. So, I went to a more conservative land called Vizag. And then, in Vizag, she's eating with the left hand. My aunt was, left hand? Gee, and this is exactly what she said. Particular strange disposition towards people who are almost like unclean people, basically. You know, this is, this is a lesson to me. It tells me literally God uses the despised of the world. Despised. People who are considered as unclean. <laughs> to deliver, to bring deliverance to people. The part, that is exactly what I'm trying to say. I'm saying that anybody can learn to wield the sword of the spirit like Ehud. If he's got a heart like Ehud. So what happened? So that's the, that's one of the connotations here. I mean, there could be several other spiritual connotations to it, but this is something which I, I was like trying to glean from my own experiences. By him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now something about Ehud is described. Let's read. Ehud made himself a sword. It was double-edged and a cubit in length. He fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. Boy, it's like compacted. So many figures compacted into one verse. Try to understand one at a time. We'll start with the name. What's his name? Ehud. You can be left-handed. You can be a despised of this world. But you can still be an Ehud. What is an Ehud? Who is an Ehud? The meaning of Ehud is undivided. Absolutely united with the purpose for which he was created. It comes from the Greek word, Hebrew word, Ehad, which is unity. Ehod, Ehad, Ehud, which means absolutely singular in his determination. Now you don't have to be talented, you have to be singular. You know, that is the reason why Albert Einstein said genius is 99% perspiration and 1% inspiration. I completely agree with him. Completely. No question about it. And that is the reason why I like people who fight on the tennis field, on the tennis court and not people who dance. That is Federer. He's a ballet dancer. Okay. Nadal is a fighter. That's exactly everybody will say, no? You ask any opponent, who's your worst opponent? Rafa Nadal on clay. An absolute, almost a mission impossible for most of us. This is a testimony of a guy who was a top 20 tennis player. Boy, I, I like that. Rough. And you, I'll tell you why. He dies on the tennis field. Literally. Absolutely a fighter. Is he talented like uh, Federer? No, 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 no. He has got so many chinks in his armor, but what he does is he covers all those chinks with his hard work. Runs from this field to that field. He co- covers so much on the court. He's not like Federer goes like this. And like this. He's like a ballet dancer and, and he and gives a winner. The point is, when Federer does like this, 
This guy who reaches the ball and sends it back. Which is a winner in most cases. For people who don't understand tennis, please watch it. Okay, you'll understand what I'm saying. Ehud, undivided, absolutely passionate, absolutely singular. His priorities are set. God first. You know, I, I remember Pastor Sundar Krishna when he was preaching through Hebrews. He looked at this congregation. Okay, he looked at them and he said, you know what, guys? He looked at all of them and he said, 25% of you guys come regularly to church. Most of you visit. Some of you sample. And he looked at them. And you want the word of God to, to work in your life? Let me tell you what you should do. Don't Try to adjust your church in your priorities. Put church first and adjust everything else according to church. Then, if you hear, you will. It'll, this, will this will make sense. Otherwise, you are just wasting your time. You might as well go. It's amazing. I like people like that. Absolutely candid. They will say to your face. I said, come on. Singular. What does it mean? United with the purpose of God. There's no confusion here. There's no double-minded. That is what James will say. James chapter 1 verse 5 will say, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally without reproach and it will be given him. You want the spirit to wield the sword of the spirit according to the word of God so that you can overcome your flesh. And he says what? Ask. But let him ask in faith. Without doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not the man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, minded man, unstable in all his ways. There is no clarity about what God wants him to do in his life. Double-minded. Vacillating from one end to the other. That is the reason why God says, Jesus says, seek ye First, and he doesn't say next family will come, next uh, job will come, next career come. He will say you seek first. All these things will be fall into they will fall into their right order. These lot of people they don't have this first. They don't have their eyes on heaven. They don't want to fulfill God's purpose in their lives. They don't know what is the purpose of God in their lives. First of all. All they want is their sins forgiven. What, I, this is what they want. They want all of this, all that is in the world and heaven also. At the end of the life, where do you want to go, brother? I want to go to heaven. When you die, nobody wants to go to hell, Papa. Nobody. Yesterday I was asking, uh, uh, the, ch- the we were doing a Romans 5 Bible study and, uh, you know, uh, we rejoice in tribulation because tribulation works patience. Oh, sorry. Uh, having been justified by faith, we are peace with God. Right? And therefore we have access by faith into the grace which we stand. And we also rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You have peace about your past. And we looked at that in several contexts in our church. Peace about your past, grace for the present, and hope of glory for the future. Now, the point here is, what is this hope of glory? You know, uh, Tim Keller gives this very interesting example. Very simple, simplified example. Very simplified, just to make the point. He says, let us, exa- let us imagine that there are two stenographers in a company. Their job, they come in the morning, 9 to 5. Every day they have to type 2,700 words. How many words? 
2700 words that's all they need to type okay 2000 they come in the morning this is what they need to type finish 2700 words by 5 o'clock in the evening go back home i'm just giving an example it could be more than that if you're a good stenographer but this is the idea let us assume that the boss promises or rather in the offer letter says to stenographer a your salary is 10000 rupees per month okay stenographer b your salary is 1 lakh per month they're doing the same job they both meet at lunch stenographer a comes and says boy i hate this job what will stenographer b will say ah i love this job why their expectation at the end of the month one is what 10000 the other is 1 lakh the point here is this hope is connected with expectation now if at the end of your life you are expecting eternal holiday that is equal to 10000 rupees on the other hand if you are expecting that you will know him who is infinite absolutely precious your expectation is infinite your joy is different you know a lot of people want an eternal holiday but let me tell you something you go on a holiday and like we are going in two days you will want to come back nobody likes holidays forever it will bore you to death and many people their expectation is what heaven eternal holiday no sorrow no tear that's all no pain no cancer mama will be there wife that's it. that's all they have in their life but they they don't know the other side the eternal eternal value of god this is life eternal to know you the only true god and jesus christ whom you have sent that is not their purpose that is not their expectation and therefore christian life is what routine routine or routine you know why because your expectation is eternal holiday nobody works for a holiday holidays a package by itself anyway so that is their idea their idea is what all this and heaven to therefore they are never focused about the they don't clearly know what god has created them for nothing they are undivided therefore he says james chapter 4 verse 4 adulterers and adulteresses do you don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with god therefore whoever wants to be a friend of the world will make god his enemy you can never overcome your flesh if god is your enemy it's like same thing right the flesh is enmity against the spirit spirit against the flesh so what should be our prayer like ehud and we'll see what how he achieves that teach me your way o lord i will walk in your truth unite my heart to fear your name one of the greatest discoveries that you can do for your own life is what is god's purpose for your life and stay focused on that that is the reason why paul will say at the end of his life he says that vision that i got i was never unfaithful or disobedient to that heavenly vision that god has given me once that heavenly vision was given to me i was singular in the purposes that is what ehud stands for singular undivided not necessarily talented he could be a left handed man romans chapter 8 will say for to be carnally minded is death 
But to be spiritually minded is peace. So that those who live according to the flesh cannot please God. Therefore, teach me your ways. What are my priorities today? Question. How are my priorities? How are my priorities today? Is God first in my life? Is he first in my life? Okay. That is Ehud, the name. Let's move on. Now, Ehud means undivided or union. What is the next? Let's read it. Ehud made... Let's read that, please. Ehud made himself a sword. What does that mean? It was his sword. It was his sword. I want to reiterate that. (laughs) It was not somebody else's sword. It was you have the word of God. Okay. That is the word of God. Is that your word? Exactly. Is it your word? Let's try to understand this. What does it mean? Not everybody can take the word of God in their mouths. Look at Psalm 50 verse 16 onwards. But to the wicked God says, What right do you have to declare my statutes? Or take my covenant in your mouth, seeing you hate instruction. And cast my words behind you. When you saw a thief, you consented with him. And you made, and you've been a partaker with adulterers. You gave your mouth to evil and your tongues framed deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. And I kept silent. And you thought I was just like you. I will rebuke you and set them in order before you. Not everybody can take the word. You know, this is your word. See, there is the word of God there. There is a word of God somewhere else in your mouth. Let us see another example to understand this. Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 30. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord. What do they do? They steal whose words? My words, everyone from his neighbor, behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord. I'm going to give you an example as to what this means. Simple. Simple example, okay? Uh, how many of you are in ninth class, 10th class? You started geometry? How many of you started geometry? Geometry in your math. Raise your hands up in the sky. Okay, good. Okay, if, even as you progress in geometry, there will be one theorem called Pythagoras theorem. What's Whose theorem? Pythagoras theorem for a right angle triangle. And everybody knows what Pythagoras theorem is, okay? The sum of the square of the hypotenuse, sorry, of the other two sides is equal to the square of the hypotenuse. That is a theorem. And there are several proofs. There is Euclid's method. There is uh, the areas method. And there is also similar triangles method. Several methods. Three types of methods. Okay. Now point is this. Let me, I mean, I'm not going to teach you Pythagoras theorem. Don't worry. So when, when, when you start learning math, one of the things that my teachers who taught me math when I was really young in, uh, in my school, I don't remember exactly. One of the teachers, I love that teacher, okay. He said, yeah, Pastor Joseph, yes, my dad knows, no, okay. He, he said, you know what, guys, when you see a theorem, 
Okay, Pythagoras solved it. Euclid gave the proof. But do one thing, own the problem, solve it yourself. Dad already is nodding because he teaches math. Own the problem, solve it yourself. So, Pythagoras already gave the proof. Now, after you have learned to solve the problem yourself, you understand the intricacies of the theorem and then you know what happens? Pythagoras theorem almost becomes your theorem. You know what? This principle, by the way, just literally was this principle, one principle was consistent throughout my education. I went to PhD. My, my professor gave me a paper written by somebody else. Okay. He said, Vijay, you want to get a doctorate, you need to write your own paper. But before you write your paper, read this paper by somebody else. Try to solve what he did. The same principle which I learned in my school in 7th class. I took it all the way to PhD. I took the paper, tried to solve it myself. That paper became my paper and I looked at all the intricacies and then I got an idea and I went forward, wrote my own paper. I have my own paper but all the principles and the ideas I got in my paper were all the other ideas that I learned. See, one of the things that, otherwise you know what happens, you just mug up or you copy. That is exactly what is happening here. People, they don't work with the word of God, they copy. I'm not saying that we should not refer to different preachers. No, 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 no. When you speak, you listen to John Piper's message, it is John Piper's word. If it is Zach Poonen's message, it is Zach Poonen's word, it is still not your word. If pastor is preaching, is pastor James's word. It is still, unless you have taken that word, applied it in your life, it has become your word. You know what? You take this principle in education everywhere. When somebody makes a proposition in your statement, in your paper, in your things, you ask a question, why is it like this first? Try to ask questions. Why is it like this? 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 And you will get the solution. You do the same thing in every area of your life and what you learn will become yours. It will become a part of you. Otherwise, it's somebody else's. Question here is, that is the reason a pastor makes a very interesting statement. He says, Vijay, you should know, complete the sentence, your word, your word. He doesn't say, Vijay, you should know the word, (laughs) which is logos. That is huge. Vijay, you should know your word. And what did Ehud make for himself? He made for himself a sword. The question is, are you making yourself a sword? Meditating upon the word day in and day out. Your words were like honey and I ate it. Your word have I hid in my heart. I made them mine so that I will not sin against you. Has it become your word? Jesus was the eternal word. And then he comes 
he learns his word and his word morning by morning awakens me to hear his word becomes his word again literally and then when the enemy comes he is able to wield the sword of the spirit man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of god thou shall not put the lord your god to test get thee behind me satan thou shall worship the lord your god and him only you shall serve It's precise precise words because he has learned his word god's word became his word this is indispensable look at this powerful 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 how does it happen isaiah chapter this is not isaiah i'm so sorry this is first kings 1724 okay first kings 1724 first kings 1724 what what it says then the woman said to elijah now by this i know you are a man of god and that the word of the lord in your mouth is the truth is the word of the lord true yeah absolutely but is the word of the lord in your mouth true because a lot of people use the word of god out of context and as we know text without a context becomes a pretext they don't know i mean they just use it out of context to suit their own purposes this is what he says she says i know that you are man of god and the word of the lord in your mouth is truth how does it become in our mouth therefore you know what where is this place this place is in the place called zarephath okay chariot means cutting zarephath means what furnace psalm 12 verse 6 the words of the lord are pure words like silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times tried applied fail applied fail applied fail 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 and over a period of time you'll get it you'll get it many people are afraid to try word of the lord his word has to become my word that's the reason why jeremiah is telling the prophet who has a dream let him tell a dream and he who has what my word let him speak my word faithfully what is shaft to the wheat you know what shaft means put to nothing no substance what is shaft to the wheat says the lord is not my word like a fire is not my word like a hammer which breaks into rock which waste which breaks the rock in pieces is a living word it deals with you it deals with you and you try to live your life according to the word of god he will prove you he will test you that is the reason why it tells about it talks about joseph until the word of the lord what tested him tested him proved him and god's word became his word second corinthians chapter 4 verse 13 and since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written i have believed and therefore i spoke we also believe and therefore we speak i know in my life it worked and therefore i will always speak this is truth lord i believe and therefore i speak 
word of God has become what? His word has become my word. The next one. Ehud made for himself a sword. Ehud means undivided. It was his sword. And how was it? It was double-edged. It was a double-edged sword. What does it mean? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. The word of the Lord is living and powerful. We know this verse very well. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to him whom we have to give an account. What does this mean? You take the word of God. One of the first things I said it it does is it cuts you. You don't judge somebody else. You judge yourself. That's what it means. Straightforward. Why is this important? Two things about Jesus himself. John's Gospel chapter 14 verse 30. I mean, this is uh, two things because two renderings. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you for the prince of the world has come and he has nothing in me. I have completely judged myself. Nothing. Look at ESV. What does it say? I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has No claim on me. He has found nothing in me because I have judged myself so very completely and he has no claim on me. And one of the things that you, I've constantly observed in my life, even as I grew in the work, in my, in the, in my work, in my word, if I don't judge myself, I will never hear clearly from God. Never. I mean, this, this is, this is true. You see, it does not mean that God is not going to do miracles through your life. That's what happened to those people in, in, in the last days, right? They said, Lord, Lord, have you not prophesied in your name? Have you not driven out driven demons in your name? Because they did so many things. You know, Jesus says something very powerful. He says, I do not know you, you works of lawlessness. I do not know you. You know why? Because, yes, you spoke the word of God. But the word of God never affected your, your life. It was not your word. So the gift might operate. Like they did with King Solomon. 31, 3,500 proverbs. And most of the proverbs about eating, drinking and women. And it says, Solomon loved many women. And it says, he loved many strange women who drew his heart away from the Lord. See. Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged by the same measure. Okay. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? But do not consider the plank in your own eye. And he says, or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye. And look, a plank is right in your hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye. And then you will see clearly the speck from your brother's eye. Very simple, straightforward rendering. The guy who judges himself Every day. Every day. And look at another place. Ehud made himself a double-edged sword. He judged himself every day of his life. Okay. Undivided. It was his sword. It was double-edged. And this is interesting. Now this is... I mean, I saw this for the first time. It was a cubit in length. That's interesting. 
How long is his sword? A cubit in length. What does that mean? You know, good thing about we have uh, Bible software these days. The word in Hebrew occurs only the first, only one time here in the entire Bible. And it is not the cubit of measurement. You see that, remember when Noah was asked to build an ark, it has to be so many cubits and so many cubits. And when he was asked to build the tabernacle, so many cubits. When the ark of the covenant, so many cubits. No, 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 no. It is not a cubit of length. What does the word cubit mean in this case? It's very interesting. The word for cubit means to grasp. I'll tell you what it means. Grasp. Something that he can grasp. Hold on to. Cling to. Never leave it. Second Samuel chapter 23 verses 9 to 10. After him was Eliezer. The son of Dodo. Not very intelligent in other words. Maybe. I don't know. The Ahohite. A whole height. One of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. They retreated. Okay, the battle was fierce, and the men of Israel retreated, and there was one guy, son of Dodo. His name is Eliezer. You don't know Eliezer, right? Well, who is Eliezer? Okay, Eliezer. Eliezer, a picture of the Holy Spirit. Look at what it says. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary. He was fighting with his with the Philistines. And what did he do? He took, I mean it was his work. He was getting really weary and he was thinking that the sword is going to drop down now. Okay. He's going to drop down. He says, boy, I can't let the sword drop down. So what did he do? He took the sword and he fastened it to his hand. Stuck to the sword. What happened? And the Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to plunder. Now let me ask you something. Do you have specific verses that God has spoken into your life and you stick to them? Grasp them. I mean I remember every time sister, when I talk to sister Elsa she says Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 16 and 17 Vijay. Fret not yourself, etc, etc, etc. I'm not going to speak her promise. That's her promise. That's her word. And she sticks to it. And she never varies. I mean, I'm just giving you live examples in our, in our, in our own because we all know her. The, I mean, there is apparent defeat. But is there weary? No way. No way. That's the reason the Galatians, Paul says in Galatians, do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap a harvest if you do not lose heart. Stick, cling to the promises that God has given you. That is a hood. That's remarkable. The word cubit in length is not the length. is something which he held on to so fast. He's like, I'm not going to let go of this promise that God has given me. That is the reason why it says of Abraham, Abraham did not 
weaken in faith when he considered his own body which is as good as dead neither the deadness of Sarah's womb nor distress made him waver concerning the promise and he gave glory to God knowing very well that one who is promised him will surely bring it to pass clung to the promise clung to the promise think about it just in the area of finances or maybe sometimes you are covetous. What is the promise that you hold on to? You know, it's a very interesting promise that always comes to my mind in Hebrews chapter 13. He says, keep yourself completely free from the love of money. Why? For it is he who promised that I will never leave you, nor forsake you. What a promise. Think about it, no? Why do, uh, why are we covetous and why do we love money? Because Lord, will you take care of me? Or etc. Et it could be fear. Keep yourself completely free from the love of money. For he promised that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Cling. Do you cling to promises? Do you have specific promises that God has spoken into your life? Hebrews chapter 10. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. I just want to hold on. It's like this, no? Paul says, right? I hold on to something that Christ held on to me. It's like I held, he held me. I'm just going to hold on. I'm just going to never let him go. He's so close to my heart. Specific promises God has spoken into your lives. Prophesied over your lives. Even in grace, I'm looking at so, so many children over here. Specific things God has spoken to you. Specifically. You cling on to them. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 13. Hold fast to the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That, that good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 35 onwards. Therefore do not cast away your confidence which was, which is a great reward, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God you may receive the promise. You need to endure. Do not give up saints. As long as it is today and as long as is, there is breath in your nostrils, do not give up. I remember one of the, one of the, uh, incredible mentorship points that I, that I keep kept in my mind from my way back, several decades back now, almost two decades now. My mentor, when I was doing my master's, a decade and a half, he, I was driving with him on the bike and he looked at me, he was dropping me off to the railway station, he said, Vijay, he said, Vijay, remember one thing. Even if you fall a million times, come back to him. That was just his word. You know what John's Gospel chapter 6 verse 37 will say? He who comes to me, I will no wise cast out. So you could have failed him even today. Even today you could have failed him. And even a million times. You know what God is telling you? If you come to him, will he cast you off? No way. Cling to that. Think to that. Why? For a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now he, now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul shall not have any pleasure in him. 
but we are not of those who draw back unto perdition. Got that? Finally, Ehud means undivided. It was his sword. It was double-edged. It was a cubit in length. And where did he keep it? Under his garments. He didn't show off. It was in his heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart. It was something which is hidden. And that's exactly what God is telling you. It is a hidden life. Your wrestlings are hidden. Your wrestlings with sin are hidden. Nobody is watching you. That is when you wrestle with God. And you contend with Him. That is where your sword is forged. That is how you make yourself your own sword. Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but no power. He doesn't want form of godliness. He he can People can call him anything. They can call him left-handed, unclean, anything. But you know what? He has his word hidden in his heart and he is a deliverer appointed by God. So, coming back to Judges chapter 3. So he brought a tribute to the king of Moab. And Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. And he himself turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal and he said, I have a secret message for you, O king. This is Ehud. You need to understand, you may be a simple man. The scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. You may be a simple man, but the fear of the Lord is a beginning of all wisdom. You keep the word in your heart. You know what? Wisdom is not a matter of the mind. It is a matter of the heart. And God will give you strategies. Wisdom. You will be one step ahead of the enemy all the time. I have a secret message for you, O king. And what does this king say? Keep silence. What does it mean? Andaril Pandi. Means very interesting. Silence means not everybody is not talking. They're all not, they, they just left the room. It's pride. So Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his school private chamber. Then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. You know that. Graphic. So he arose from his feet. Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, thrust into his belly, even to the hilt, even the hilt went in after the blade. Fat loosened over the blade, for he did not draw the dagger out of his belly, and his entrails came out. Mortified completely. This is a man who has absolutely wrought deliverance. You know why? Because this is how he learned to wield the sword of the spirit. It was his sword. He had an undivided passion for God. He judged himself every day. He grasped on to the promises of God and he never wavered. And he hid his word in his heart every day. And you know what? Victory guaranteed. 
this is a Benjamite. And there is another Benjamite. Another Benjamite. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, he is also a Benjamite. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 19 onwards, Now there was no blacksmith to be found in throughout, the, uh, throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords and spears. So on the day of battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people except Saul and Jonathan. Only Saul and Jonathan had a sword and Saul had a sword which was visible. But no power. What did he have? He had 700 member congregation sitting under the tree and not fighting, trembling. You know why? Because he never judged himself. It had no promises. He never, never allowed the word of God to rebuke him. And therefore he was absolutely powerless. Sword. And I'll tell you something. This is, this is, this is, this is the, this is there in all of us. In Jeremiah chapter 5 will say something very interesting. He says, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. land. What is that appalling and horrible thing? The prophets prophesy falsely. Priests rule at their direction. And you know what? My people love it. My people love it. Yes, it's very interesting. You will get teachers after your own heart. You will get teachers after your own heart. Give you this example and I'm going to finish. When I was growing up in my youth, youth group, I had a bunch of young guys, okay, when they were all in their teens and twenties and just saved, on fire for God. They were a part of my uh, youth group when I was growing up. It was several, two decades back. Fired up. Young people. They were responsible in bringing me to the Lord. Those days my priorities was only study, 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 study. They said, Vijay, come to the youth camp, 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 come to the youth camp. This is all they used to say. Come to the youth camp, come. And then one day I said, okay. As if I was doing them a favor. I said, okay, I'll come. I went to the youth camp. It was after my first year of engineering. Went to the youth camp. I heard the word of God for the very first time from an anointed teacher, a lady. I got saved. I was about 18 years old. 18 years old. I got saved when I was 18. And after that, that lady was one of the most incredibly anointed ladies and, he, and she was speaking the truth left, right and center, not mincing words at all. Not mincing words. And that is how many of us in that youth group got converted. We all, it was a, almost a revival. Then one year, I'm, they made me one of the, you know, this is what happens in mainland denominations. One year, they'll make you a leader. Okay. They said, okay, you are now the treasurer or whatever, the, the secretary, whatever. No? The next year, we had to organize a youth camp. This is one year after that, okay? One year. One year, we were, we never had solid teaching. One year, we all drifted. And I remembered the days of conversion. It was not like that again. After one, we were all gone, drifted. One year later, we were, we were organizing a youth camp and I told the guys, I said, you know why, why don't we call that lady again? And I was insisting. And they all said, no, 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 she's too tough. She's very, very tough. If she speaks like this, she speaks like that. Everybody will get offended and they'll all run away. I said, why don't you do that? Just try it out once. 
and you wouldn't believe it. They said, okay, fine, we'll call, but we'll decide the topic. And they gave her a topic, so general topic, and poor lady, she couldn't do much. She came, she went. And you would see that, no, whenever tough teachers used to come, they would say, no, only this, and this, and this, and this. Four years into the youth group, so many backslid and went away. One of them, one of them who was really a very close friend of mine, very, very close friend of mine in his house, he doesn't have the Bible. He has the Encyclopedia of Rock now. Encyclopedia of Rock. Another lady, she is with the LGBT community, fighting for gay rights. I used to look up to them and I used to, I used to wonder what happened to them. This lady was so good in her word. She wrote an entire monologue for the Easter Sunday service. One entire monologue on Peter. Incredibly gifted in the word of God. Then I looked at where they went and I asked this question. I said, Lord, why? Why is this, this people just drifted away into oblivion and have gone not just away from the Lord, Now, are working against you. Almost. You know what? Observed in every one of them, those are the very same people when I asked them, we should have this lady to come to the youth meeting. They said, no. 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 God, in my divine providence, he took me to a place called Kanpur. Not to do my master's. That was only a secondary. He brought me to a man called Shibu Clement, who is now a professor in Bitspilani. Incredibly tough. And he used to love us all. He used to pray for us every day. And during our work hours in the night, 12 o'clock in the night, at 1 o'clock in the night, I used to get an email from him. He said, Vijay, I've been praying for you. And the Lord told me that you're drifting. You're just taking things lightly. You're taking things of God very lightly. The Lord told me this. Repent. I must, in, I, every time, and he used to love us all. And he's the same brother who told us, you know, even if you fall a million times, come back. Tough teacher. And I tell you, I owe my life to, to Malayalis. Shibu Clement. Another James. Tail between two Malayalis. Literally. Tough. I started loving him. No? I loved him a lot. And many people in my peer group, they started hating him again. And I, and I look at their lives now. The same story. Things are not changed. You know why? You get the teachers after your own heart. Prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule in their direction and my people love it. Ask yourself this question, young people. Do you like tough teachers? Or do you like candy cotton teachers? Candy cotton, you know candy cotton? It looks big. But when you eat it, gone. 
No substance. My children like it. Papa, get me a candy corn because it looks big. Fear the Lord and you will succeed. Fear his prophets, you, it will go well with you. Tough teachers who will correct you. And that is how they teach you to wield the sword of the spirit. And one day you will have your sword and you will clasp it right in your hands. And you will never let go of it. And you will become a youth. You don't have to be intelligent. You only have to be intelligent. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Father, for this time. You spoke your word into our hearts. Teach us to wield the sword of the Spirit in our own hearts. And Lord, the day will come, O Lord, when you have done a complete work in us. And then we contend with the enemies of the gates. They will know our name. Enable us not to be like the sons of Sceva. The powers of darkness said, Jesus we know, but Paul we know, who are you? Because we cannot fool the powers of darkness, O Lord. Because we have been made spectacle to the entire spiritual realm. And therefore I pray, Lord, each one of us will have a private life with his word or her word. And like Ehud, the word of God will become our word. Thank you, Father. We praise you. We worship you. We give you glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, Amen.